Welcome to kind of a special edition of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Traditionally, the podcast of two unqualified idiots t- rambling on sports topics they likely know nothing about for an indeterminate timeline with a hazily thrown together format. Brought to us this week by Learning to Schedule, which is something that I needed to do this week. So it's going to be kind of a different version of the podcast. Obviously, if you're hearing it when it first comes out, you're hearing it a couple of days after when you usually would on the weekend. And uh, this, in this case, it's entirely my fault. And it's going to be a one-sided uh, monologue as opposed to a conversation. I will tell you that uh, Dave and myself did, in fact, record a podcast on Thursday because we were trying to anticipate uh, the scheduling issues that I was going to have because I was going to be kind of out of town. Unfortunately, between recording late on Thursday evening, and we had about a 90-minute podcast, just so you know. At some point, I may pull out segments of it. I'm, I'm going to see if I can, but as I, I was never able to edit it all the way through, and by the time I got around to it, it's about three-quarters edited now. The problem is the entire last section of it is entirely talking about, oh, why you should check out and why you should go to a thing that already happened. Thus is the problem of having a podcast that's less evergreen, more timeline-based. But just the same, I, want, I still wanted to have something out as a podcast. And by the way, just so we're clear, there is going to be a normally scheduled podcast this week. So it, you know, you're going get, to get two within a couple of days. So to, for today, I'm going to talk about a couple of things that came up uh, on the weekend and obviously into this week, a couple of interesting things that caught my eye. I'm going to talk about a little bit about the NHL playoffs where we're at right now. As I'm recording this, within the next hour, hour and a half, is going to be Game 7 between the Dallas Stars and St. Louis Blues. So I'm getting kind of uh, amped up for that. As a Dallas Star fan, I'm of two minds of the way this has kind of come out. In a very technical way, I'm very surprised that we ended up where we are. I'm kind of happy because I wasn't expecting it. But at the same time, uh, after they were up three games to two, I really wanted to see them put it away in game six. Because going to game seven, now it's basically a coin toss. Realistically, you could make almost any scenario play out in a game seven. And if you're in a position to close it out, you really don't want to put yourself in this place. But what we're going to end up having as a result of that is we're going to have game seven tonight. And then tomorrow, we're going to have another game seven as Colorado and San Jose have to settle their series. So the Western Conference is still to be determined. And we don't know any of the Western Conference potential Western Conference Stanley Cup finalists. So right now, we'll have to figure that out. So this contrasts to the East side where you've, it's going to be Boston or Carolina. One of them is going to be in the Stanley Cup final. Nobody, I think, could have predicted this particular combination of teams. But like I said, right now, we still got four possibilities out in the West. So we'll kind of get a better gauge and probably make some predictions on the Stanley Cup final. Not that our predictions mean anything, given the way this Stanley, uh, this NHL playoff year has worked out. But just the same, we'll talk a little bit more about the Stanley Cup final once it becomes a real possibility. And of course, we'll talk about the conference finals. But just the overall theme of it is this really was anything can happen. And it's ended up being a bit of a free-for-all. The Islanders fans are no doubt, you know, lamenting the the result that they that they got. And of course, Columbus with an opportunity to get to the conference final for the first time. A lot of missed opportunities here. And a lot of these teams are really going to end up kicking themselves. We talked about this thematically already before on the podcast. A bunch of these teams are really going to feel like this was a huge opportunity with the way that the whole bracket has worked out. So that's my little piece on the NHL Stanley Cup finals. Another item uh, that's of interest locally uh, is that Vladimir Guerrero obviously debuted to big fanfare for Toronto Blue Jay fans. It's kind of an interesting thing in that we talked a little bit about how the expectations were kind of out of whack. And I kind of wish we had made more of it because you almost felt like it had to be. There was almost no way to meet those expectations. But the truth is this. You're getting kind of almost another version of the same reaction because of the hype machine going so steadily. And, you know, the first game with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, him getting several standing ovations and all the reaction that he got early on. And I can tell you, and I'll talk a little bit about where I was this weekend. 
uh, as far as the Sports Memorabilia Expo uh, over near Toronto and the impact that this had on that. But the hype machine was in such great effect as far as the game is concerned and the Jays fans, uh, fan base, is that now that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is being a rookie who's being exploited for some weaknesses that he has, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has hit tremendously well in the minor leagues, but he's still a very young guy. And the truth is, if he didn't figure it out for a year or two, that would not bother me as a fan because right now it's not going to make that much of a difference. It's kind of it's kind of the point that I've hammered home the last couple of weeks, even before he ever made his debut, and to folks that I've talked to in various uh, walks of life. I never understood why it was so incredibly important. Like I understood that you know fans wanted to see him, but at the same time, there's a very large difference between pitchers at the minor league level who might have really good stuff. But they're not at the major league level for a reason. There's something missing. Maybe they have a tremendous fastball, but maybe their control isn't so good. Maybe their off-speed pitches aren't quite on par. Well, what is this, what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is discovering in the major leagues right now is that these teams do an excellent job scouting. They're going to look and see what you do well, and they're going to play against those strengths. They're going to throw the ball down in the zone. They're not going to feed you a bunch of fastballs. They're going to throw off-speed pitches. They're going to force you to adjust. You're going to the one who's going to have to prove that you can hit those pitches. If you start hitting them with consistency, then they're going to have to start changing their tactics again. And it's going to go back and forth. The chess match will continue. I think in the long run, Vladimir Guerrero will be a good player. I don't know if he'll be an excellent or Hall of Fame caliber player. I don't know if the big um, expectations can be met. But the reason I mentioned the Sports Card Memorabilia Expo is that the hype machine carries over into the memorabilia world when you're talking about that. One of the big items that became uh, synonymous with the Expo was kind of one that I, caught me by surprise. I didn't know about it, aside of the fact that I have a lot of friends who are dealers who set up shop at that Expo and that convention. And uh, there was an Expo exclusive, a card from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that was an exclusive to that particular show. And, you know, capitalism in, in effect really quickly was those uh, people who had connections and were able to get their hands on them early were able to almost immediately put them up on eBay. So a card that, from what I understand, was free or if you had the right connection to it, was already selling for 50 to $75 Canadian on eBay. Now, if the player takes off and he starts hitting at the level that people expect him to, then you're going to see those numbers skyrocket. But I saw seven, eight, and $9,000 Vladimir Guerrero Jr. cards, mostly autograph cards, he still doesn't have an official Major League Rookie card yet. He does have a, a Topps Now card. And an interesting thing about Topps and the way they do their business, this is not in the normal context of the podcast, but I thought I'd give this to you for a little context. The way that Topps does their Topps Now series is that a person, if, you know, if a player does a milestone or has a special thing, like Vladimir Guerrero's first game and the reception he got to that, that allows Topps to use its on-demand service where it creates these small little subsets of cards every single day or even every week and to commemorate different events. And what happens with those is that you're only able to order them within a 24-hour period. So if, say, for example, Vladimir Guerrero had his Major League debut, which is what happened, and then Topps says, okay, Major League debut, they'll create a card on the spot with a, with a photo from the game and do a quick little write-up for it, and you're able to order it within 24 hours. After 24 hours, they stop producing them. The end result of that is that however many are, get created, that is the full population of that card. The reason why that was very interesting is that normally these Tops Now cards, depending on the player, depending on the particular uh, thing that it's chronicling, normally they'll produce a couple of hundred cards. Maybe if it's something particularly notable, maybe a thousand cards. It's, it's generally not a ridiculous number, given that there's only a 24-hour ordering period. You've got to go in there. You've got to... 
You got to put in your information. You can order one card is in Canada, speaking specifically, is $9.99. If you want five of them, it's $30. You know, you get a discount if you order more of them. And then, of course, you pay shipping. But the Vladimir Guerrero card for this first one, there were over 19,000 produced. Think about the context of what I just said. I said normally it's a couple of hundred for a lot of regular cards that are in the series, and they're being produced every day for different players and different things that happen throughout the Major League season and in other sports as well. Uh, the AAF had a couple of those as well because they had to deal with tops to make similar type cards. But 19,000, more than that, that's kind of an idea of... Now, not all of those are just fans. Of course, there are Jays fans and people that order those cards, but a lot of them are prospectors. They're people that are... Um, that saw dollar signs. I went to go pick up a few for myself because I did want to at least have a couple in my collection. And it's usually best to go get them, you know, early rather than on the secondary market because you only have one day to order. And there's going to be lots of opportunities. There's going to be plenty of uh, Vladimir Guerrero merchandise and things that are going to come out over the next while. I'm sure they've sold a ton of jerseys in, uh, you know, in the Rogers Center. But the reality is no matter how you want to break it down, what a conversation that I remember having throughout uh, the, the expo throughout the weekend was, and I said, and I would always preface it the same way that I've said it on the podcast. I said, what if I gave you, you know, the current market on this player right now? And the market is an interesting thing because much like the stock market, the, the mentality is very similar. And I'll explain why in a second. I said to them, look at the market as it is right now, you know, for this card here, $9,000 or $1,000 or whatever it is. I said to them, if I told you guaranteed, I'm going to give it to you right now. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to have numbers comparable to his dad, comparable to Vladimir Guerrero Sr. And he's going to the Hall of Fame. Would you still pay this price for this card? And almost to a man and to a woman, the answer was no. That to me tells me that the stock is overpriced. It tells me it's out of whack. Because if you don't think the assets or the potential assets are even worth what you're paying now, why would they ever be worth more than that? That isn't to say that the hype machine couldn't take you past this current point, but it's kind of an interesting thing. The parallels to the stock market are very interesting in that the, the herd mentality is always that when things are going up and it seems to be like the hot thing, people feel this compulsion, this need to get behind it. They have to because you, you have to catch the wave. You know, you don't want to be left behind. You don't want to have the regret of having seen it pat, blow past you and the opportunity was there to turn you know, a $1,000 card into a $5,000 card or a 10000 or, you know, to the moon. You're going you're gonna to buy your house with us someday and hold it. And, you know, your great-grandkids will be rich off, uh, off this incredible investment that you made. It almost never works out that way, but it is interesting to see on a, on a small scale the mentality that falls into these kinds of investment vehicles. So that's just a little thought process, a little thought experiment that I brought out that I just wanted to mention. The truth is, I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be fine. I think he'll be a good player, he'll be a good hitter, but he's going to have to adjust. He's going to have to learn to hit the off-speed stuff. He's going to have to adjust his strike zone to match what major league pitchers can do because they are going to be prepared for him. Until he can prove he can hit them at, in that way, unless, until he can prove he can hit that type of pitching, and uh, some of those pitchers are simply going to be more accurate. They're going to hit their spots better. When he learns to hit those and is able to do so with consistency, they'll adapt, and then the game will begin anew. And then he'll have to adapt further, and it'll just go back and forth. And I think that's what's going to end up happening with that. It is going to be interesting to see. I hope that they give him the opportunity, the rope, to be able to learn. Because now you called him up. There's no sense in bringing him back down to the minors. The team's not going to be any good anyway, truthfully. They're probably going to trade off some of their assets and some of their better players. You may as well let him go out there and have his growing pains now, and hopefully those growing pains allow him to become a better player in the future. But you're going to have to give him the encouragement and the instruction and continue to help him 
because that's what's going to get him to be where he needs to be in the long run as you try to build this team around them. So on kind of this truncated, this is going to be like a little mini version. So by the way, this is not going to be a full episode. This is not going to be full on episode 15. As I said, we did record episode 15. And unfortunately, I don't know if it's going to make air at any point. I'm, I'm hoping someday it will, but I'm going to see what, I'm, what I can pull out of it to, to salvage some element of it. And as I said, this weekend, we'll be back with a more normal episode. You'll hear myself and Dave. I'm sure he'll have a pretentious cross-country running report. A lot of the usual stick. I'll make fun of him for something. It'll be, it'll be what you've come to expect if you've listened to the podcast at all. But one more thing I did want to talk about, coming back into the spring football motif. Now that I don't have the AAF, I have to take it where I can get it. But there was a notable item that came across my uh, Instagram feed and other social medias. The XFL has announced a schedule, but specifically it's announced through the schedule, it's 2020 television partnership list. And it is an interesting list. There's a, and this will, hopefully we'll talk about this more on the weekend during the regular podcast episode. In this kind of episode 14.5 UN Pod Extra audio version, I'm going to talk about what uh, the XFL announced. They said that they're going to be airing games on the ABC network and the Fox network, as well as ESPN, FS1, and they're going to have some games on... Actually, that's the four of them. ABC, ESPN, Fox Sports, and FS1. So the regular Fox network, FS1, ESPN, and ABC. So that's a really interesting list. Uh, and I had to think about it a little bit at first because I was because I remember having a conversation about about the XFL's potential during the last AAF video that I made on the YouTube channel. And I'll do my shameless plug. Actually, I'll do one shameless plug here. If you go into YouTube and go to Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, occasionally I'll record videos where I'll talk about different topics that are kind of like this. It has something happened during the week that I don't necessarily want to wait until the weekend to talk about, or if we do, it's usually in a, in a smaller format. This lets me take more of a deep dive into it. But when I talked about kind of my last thoughts on the AAF and the way that went down, I also talked about the XFL. And my thing that I was holding out interest on, and I needed to see more from it, was the XFL was mostly focusing on these announcements regarding, oh, we've got a general manager for the Dallas team, or you know this team, or that team, or St. Louis, and they'll announce the coaches, the general managers, the the various executives that are are part of the structure. You need to have these people. But all your announcements were centered around, you know, infrastructure. But one thing that hadn't been discussed until now is who are your television partners? Where are you going to air it? How can people see it? And this is the first step, I think, in answering that question. Now we know that they have these television partners. And one of the questions that I posed was, I'm curious who would be willing to step up to the plate given the high-profile failure of the AAF. What I did mention in that video as well, though, that there was a little bit of a contrast here is that I'm not so worried about Vince McMahon's uh, finances. The reality is he has deep enough pockets to be able to fund this league on his own. So he's not relying on you know, outside investors. The question was still, though, regardless of outside investors, could you get the requisite hours on television? You know, Would somebody take a flyer? Because if you remember from the original XFL, NBC got burned pretty badly on that. And then, of course, in the AAF, CBS got burned on it. So right now, spring football leagues are kind of uh, 0 for 2. And then we're resurrecting a league that already has the stigma of a previous failure, including a documentary on the subject. So it was an interesting decision to keep the branding the same. You know, they changed it slightly, obviously. They, They made it a little more friendly in terms of the logos and, you know, got rid of the black from the color scheme. But just the same, it was... It was still conceptually, it's still the same owner, it's still the same principal person at the forefront, and it's the same, you know, initials. You're still talking about the XFL, and there's some nebulous things surrounding that. One interesting thing that I think stands out for this for me is once I started to think about it a little bit more, it started to make a little bit more sense. Because at first I was like, ESPN, really? And then Fox. Fox, I kind of understood. 
because I threw out Fox as a possibility because I knew that Fox had a deal where they were going to start carrying the SmackDown product for the WWE. So obviously they would have a ramp up. Well, I guess this is kind of an expansion on that relationship, so to speak. The two entities are still operating separately, but under the same you know, principal owner. It is kind of interesting, though, that Fox, having not actually done business with WWE in the sense of not having gotten to the product yet, because SmackDown, I don't think, switches on to Fox until the fall. And obviously, the, the and if you know anything about the world of professional wrestling right now, both the Raw and SmackDown product have kind of struggled in the ratings category. I don't know if the Fox executives are thrilled that the, the main thing that Vince McMahon does well, the one area where he has been supremely successful, happens to be an area where ratings are going down. Even as revenues have gone up, a lot of these revenues come from a lot of other things that have been built over time, the infrastructure that has been built around it, and hundreds of millions of dollars in television revenue from rights fees. Well, I don't know how long those rights fees are going to keep going if the ratings keep going down. If you're you know, a television product, um, sorry, if you're a television network like a Fox or, or a USA network, you're paying good money with the expectation that you're going to produce me a certain amount of ratings so that I can sell a certain amount of ad time. If your ratings start to slide and they're not as reliable as I expect them to, even though as a television network, I, I need to eat up a lot of hours and having live content is generally the best kind of content for engagement, it doesn't mean that I'm just simply going to throw limitless dollars at it. What kind of competition is going to be out there for a product where the ratings are sliding? And that's kind of what's become very interesting about it. But I guess in this case, they were able to get these deals done before that. So Fox is actually going to carry it on the main network, which is kind of surprising. One thing I'll give them credit for here is that unlike the AF model, which included Bleacher Report, and even with CBS, most of the games were actually on the secondary network, like the CBS Sports Network, which is more of a specialty, or NFL Network even, which did pretty well ratings-wise, all things considered. It's still kind of a secondary network. It's not, a prim it's not an ABC it's not a Fox. It's not even an ESPN, which is still carried in a lot of places. So like in terms of exposure and eyeballs, the ESPN and ABC half of it was a little bit more interesting. The Fox part I got, but I had to think about the other one for a little bit. But then it occurred to me, ESPN has been covering a little bit more about the WWE, treating it almost as a sport and talking about it a lot more and then when Fox is also moving closer to it in the sense that I believe, from what I understand, Fox is um, going to be airing a, you know, a separate WWE show, which is going to be a studio show as opposed to the regular uh, programming. So they're getting very invested in the WWE universe. And then now ESPN has started to ramp up its kind of cross-promotion work with the WWE. So all of a sudden, that starts to make a little bit more sense. Like, you know what? If you're going to start doing that with WWE product, much like the Fox thing, well, I guess ESPN wants more content, so I guess they can use that. And ABC, I believe they're owned by the same parent network. I think it's all owned by Disney. Uh, you know, I don't have it in front of me, so obviously, correct me if I'm being an idiot, but I think there's a connection there between ABC and ESPN in that sense. And as a result of that, then it kind of starts to make a little bit more sense because ABC felt like it kind of came out of left field until I kind of thought, wait, there's a connection between the two. But what makes that interesting now is outside of FS1, most of these games, like even looking at the schedule, week one is ABC, Fox, and then on Sunday, Fox and ESPN. So these are main network, four main network games. You know, ESPN, obviously, you can consider it not necessarily main network, but it's pretty mainstream. We're not talking about ESPN+. Plus. We're not talking about an online streaming. We're talking about ESPN, ESPN on Sunday. 
And then in week two, ABC, Fox, ABC again, and then FS1. That's the first like secondary network game. So after that, there's an FS1 game every week. But generally, there's a game on ABC, a game on Fox, and a game on ESPN. Occasionally, there's a game on ESPN too. But for the most part, you're sticking to fairly, um, even in the first couple of weeks, in the first couple of months, you are getting a fair number of games on the main networks. More, more often than not, you're getting a Fox game or an ABC game. And usually an ESPN game somewhere in there as well, sprinkled in. That's really good for trying to get eyeballs behind the product. Now, the question that I'm left still left asking myself, and if you know, if you hear this and want to opine some thoughts, I'd love to hear any, any thoughts you have on that. The question that is still going to be, okay, so you know what? You've passed one hurdle. Financing, I didn't think was going to be an issue. You know, We're pretty confident that's going to be fine. I think Vince's stubbornness is going to be such that he's going to try to push this through. I'm confident they're going to complete a season, maybe two. Beyond that, there's going to have to be some kind of success because I don't think he's going to dump money in there forever. And I don't think the television folks are going to stick around if the ratings don't hold up. The real question is, now that leads us to step two, you got the television partners where they can put real eyeballs behind it. People can get ESPN. And I'm assuming I'm in Canada. So ESPN, though, usually their programming, if they've got something like that, will get picked up by TSN here. So I, I fully expect that I'll be able to technically see these games on regular television. I won't have to get creative to find, you know, an online stream the way that I had to do with a lot of AAF games, especially when they were on CBS Sports Network, which I don't have access to. I suspect this will be a lot easier. So access won't necessarily be the issue. The question is going to be like, with two, with one recent high-profile failure, and then obviously the failure of this league originally, the branding behind that, is there going to be enough interest in this iteration of the XFL in 2020? Because we're going to be starting up again in February of 2020, presumably after the Super Bowl again, and you're going to be left to question one more time. Can they sell spring football? Are they going to be able to promote it on that level? I'm sure they're going to be able to find players who will be fine. And I've and from what I've seen, they've done some good work in trying to work on the on the actual on-field product during this extra year that they've been able to work on it. And they've also had the benefit of, get, of using the AAF as kind of a guinea pig to see what worked, what didn't work, what mistakes can you avoid. But at the same time, the market's been stigmatized. There are going to be people out there who are going to be hell-bent on sitting there hoping and praying for failure so that they can say, ha, see, and then point, I told you so. It's kind of a dumb mentality because the truth is, if you don't like the product, don't watch it. But to actively root against the idea of Spring Football League is dumb. Because if you are a real football fan, and that's the real question, I don't think there are that many real football fans as they're claimed to be. But if you are a real football fan and you, you want to see more football, you know what? This is not interfering with college football. This is not interfering with the NFL. More product can be good product if they're willing to put in the time and care. But at the end of the day, the proof is going to be in the ratings. The proof is going to be in how many people they get out to the stands. The XFL chose a lot of NFL cities to try to build a team in. I don't know what that's going to look like. But it's going to be interesting. The way they've got it set up is four games a week, eight teams total, and they're on a lot of network games. They're going to be visible for the most part. Obviously, there'll be FS1, which I don't know if you have FS1 or not, but if you do, then more likely you can watch four games a week. How that's going to look going forward, what the production is going to look like, I expect, given that WWE has a tremendous reputation for production values, I expect the television product will look good. I expect the announced teams to be vetted, and I expect it to be fairly polished. I just don't know if the interest is going to be there. Obviously, there are going to be some carryover. I don't know if some AAF fans are going to be burned by the experience of 
investing themselves into a league that failed and then having to come back and here's another league that's going to attempt the exact same thing in almost the exact same time of year. It'll be interesting to see. So if it all comes to pass and they get through their 10-week regular season, the playoffs are going to be on April 18th on Fox. This is April 18th, 2020, and April 19th on ESPN with the XFL Championship, the new inaugural XFL Championship, happening on April 26, 2020. You know, be there. Book your tickets in advance. So we'll see how that plays out. But I really did want to talk a little bit about the XFL thing because it was very interesting. I just, I don't know what it's going to look like and I don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, everything we're talking about now is speculation. We're almost a year out, but it's going to be fascinating to see what the player pools are going to look like. And I'll also be curious to see how they structure uh, the composition of these teams and start putting it together. So that's all I have to say here in kind of a special episode 14.5 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, an audio Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast extra, if you will. So before I go, I'm going to do a couple of shameless plugs as normal. You can catch this uh, podcast in its normal format, either on YouTube, as I said, on Unnecessary Nonsense Podcasts. Uh, They're generally audio only if it's a podcast. I will do videos from time to time there as well. You can also catch us on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Instagram, at Unnecessary Podcast, Twitter, at Unnecessary underscore pod, and our site is unnecessarypod.podbean.com. So normally it's myself and my co-host Dave Turbo. So we'll be, we come on and talk about different topics. It changes depending on what's going on, but usually that's what we do. We have a little bit of fun. We, don't, we try not to take ourselves too seriously, and we try not to take the world of sports too seriously because it's sports. Why take it that seriously? If you're interested in any of that, we'd love to catch you again the next time we do an episode. There'll be probably another one this weekend. We expect to be back to kind of our normal scheduling. And hopefully, we'll see you then for episode 15 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Thanks for listening.